Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. It was like the day of Pentecost, man. Acts chapter 2. So, baptizer's elbow, right? Um, but what a great what a great season. And again, if if God is moving in your heart, whether that's to make Fern Creek your home church for this season of life or to say to Jesus, I want to I want to join you. I, I want to experience your death, burial, and resurrection in my life and be baptized. Man, we would, we would love to do that any Sunday and talk to you about that underneath the cross. So, friends, congratulations. This is it, the final sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, man, I mean, you, it was, it was a seven, yeah, oh, hey, all right, 17 weeks. That was spread over, it seems like over like half a year, but 17 weeks we we unpacked the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, given by the greatest preacher to ever live, Jesus. And I can't tell you, man, going back and reliving some of that and looking back, we uncovered going through that text, I mean, just some amazing gems and, and jewels. And, um, and remember, you know, the, the last 16 verses is, is, the, is the conclusion of this sermon. And and as we read, you know, those last 16 verses, man, Jesus builds to this crescendo. Things get bigger and, and bolder and more intense. And so today we hit the final note. We hit the final, you know, text uh, of this incredible sermon. So I want to read it with you, and then I want to dive into it. But let's look at it together, Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, anyone or everyone, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. It did not fall because it had as its foundation the rock. But everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Man, they are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, this is one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told, the wise and the foolish builders. It's been turned into skits. We have kids' songs about this. There's even a veggie tale uh, about the wise and the foolish builders. But, but here's the danger with this parable. And it's a danger that anybody who, who wants to read the Bible faces. If you stay on the surface, if you just do a skim, casual read, you may walk away with a very major mistake. You, you could misapply this text and lots and lots and lots of people do that. And here's the error that most people make if they just stay on the surface. The error people make when they read this is, well, this is about me. I'm the star of the story. What Jesus is talking about is if I will build my life upon the principles of the Bible, if I have a business and we build our business based upon the principles of the Bible, if I apply the teachings of Jesus, then my life, my company, my family, 
It will all be blessed. We, we will be safe and secure. We will be prosperous because we built our life upon the teachings of Jesus. And that is not, that is not what Jesus is teaching. That is not what he is saying. So let's dig, like, like, like we always do. Let's dig into the text and let's see what Jesus indeed is saying in this final note of his sermon. So go back with me. Look at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of, what's the next word? Okay, he does it again. Again, you've studied the sermon, Bible students. You've come, you've walked with me in 17. You know what Jesus is doing. Jesus is once again doing something staggering. This is why the crowds were astonished. What he is doing once again is claiming authority that only belongs to God. He's done this often in the sermon. Go back with me. Remember earlier, you, you have heard Moses say, but I tell you. You know what the law says, but I say unto you. J Jesus is, you, you know what he's doing. He is setting himself up to be greater than Moses. He is setting himself up to be greater than the law. Jesus doesn't even say, well, you, you've heard God say, You've heard my father say, no, he says, listen to what I say. What Jesus is doing is he's equating his words to the words of God. He supersedes Moses. He supersedes the law. My words are the words of God because I am God. That, that, that's what Jesus is driving at. And this is one of the things that just kills me about our modern culture. Oprah, everybody does it. Jesus is a nice man. He's just a wonderful teacher. I mean, we, we need to listen to the, he, all these moral principles that come from this good little poor man from, from, from the, you know, Israel. We need to listen to him. And it's like, no, 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 no. You dare not do that. You cannot do that. And here's why. He claimed to be God. He let people worship him. He let people pray to him. Can you imagine? Jesus is this cosmic, eternal Mr. Rogers. And we just need, all, right, all right, can you imagine if Mr. Rogers, God rest his soul, right? If Mr. Rogers ever took to the airwaves and said, hi, neighbor. <laughs> Welcome to the neighborhood. I, I love you, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm here today to give to you an epiphany. Can you say epiphany? <laughs> I knew you could. Boys and girls, I'm here today to tell you I am God. I am the Almighty. I am the creator of all things. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I can forgive sin. I've come to die for you, and if you believe in me, I will take you to our eternal neighborhood where I will sit on a throne and rule forever. Thank you, boys and girls. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you ever heard anyone say that, you, you would not call them good or moral. You would think they were crazy or a demon from the pit of hell. But what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus said exactly that. He said exactly that. He, he said that he could forgive sins. He alone could forgive sins. He said, no one gets to God unless you come through me. He said that he was the light of the world. He said that he was the resurrection and the life. He said that he was God. You've seen me, you've seen God. 
He said those things. And when anyone says those things, there is no middle ground. Either you are or you aren't. And if you aren't, you are not good. You are not moral. And we would not listen to a word you say. So in the closing of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is the star of the story. He is once again articulating my word is equal to the word of God. Listen to me because I am God. This is divine authority once again on display. Now he pushes it even farther. Not only does he say, just listen to my words, listen to what he said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, not good enough to just hear them. You got to do what I say. It's not good enough for someone to look at the words of Jesus and go, oh, that's good. Oh, that love, love your enemy, turn the, oh, that's good, right? Somebody should write that down and study it. No, Jesus says it's not, it's not good enough to memorize my words, to applaud my words, to study my words. Jesus said, man, you got to do it. You got to obey. You got to put into practice. You got to follow the map. Let me do it this way. If there is a God, and, and many of us in this room know there's a God. We believe there's a God. But let, let's say that you're here this morning and you're visiting with somebody and you're like, you know, I'm just not sure. Man, we welcome that. We welcome that, that question, right, as you wrestle with that. But let walk with me for a second. If there truly is a God, and if that God truly is the God of the Bible, if that God is an eternally good and loving God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he loves his creation, wouldn't you expect that good God to leave behind some instructions on, like, who he is and what he likes and what he's not into and how do you connect with him and how do you find eternal? Wouldn't you think that if he's good, he would leave behind a map, some directions, some, some clues on how to find and follow him? Man, 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 if he didn't, he would not be good. Like, like, like if he's like, yeah, I am here, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to give you any clue on who I am or how to find me. Some cosmic game of hide and seek. That, that would not be an eternally good God. But in his goodness, man, God has given us his word. And in that word, we find out who he is. We find out what he tells us what he's like. He tells us what he's into and what he's against. He tells us how to find him, how to find eternal life. He basically says, my word is the map. Follow the map. The map will lead you home. The map is, is, is your direction. Follow the map. And as we follow the map, it doesn't mean that life is easy. Oh, no, no. We, we live in a fallen world. We live in a, in a cursed world where, where bad things happen, right? And there'll be plenty of hard days as we follow the map. But God says, if you follow my word, if you dig where I say to dig, man, you're going to find treasure. You're going to hit gold. Some for this life, but much for the life to come. But, but here's our problem. And again, for 90% of you, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but here, there, there are two problems with that. Here's problem number one. We have the map. We, we, we have the map that shows us where the treasure is buried, but we don't look at it very much. We, we don't read it. it. It stays on a 
on a shelf in our house or in a cabinet in our, in our house. And we don't read the map very often. You know, we're, we're doing just fine. And I'll go to a place where they read the map to me, but I'm not really going to read them. I don't have time. I've got lots of stuff going on. So I'm not going to really read them. Now, if something goes wrong in my life, then, then I'll pull the map out because I, I need to figure something. But, but for now, life is good. I'll have the map, but we don't read it very often. That, that's problem one. We have the map, but we don't read it. Second problem is we read the map, but we don't follow it. We, we, we read it, but we don't follow it. Now, 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 now walk with me. If you discovered an actual real treasure map, like you've got a real, a legitimate, follow this map and it will lead you to treasure. And, and, and as you're following the map, at some point you've followed it and you get to this point where it says, find the cactus shaped like a burrito and then walk 16 paces to the left. And all of a sudden in your quest, you find burrito cactus. And you look at your map and you go 16 paces to the left. I got a problem. Left leads into the desert. I don't think I'm going to go into the desert. 16 paces, 16, that's the mark of the devil. The Southeast Conference has 16 teams. That's the conference of the devil. I'm a big tenor. I'm going to take 10 steps. And I'm going yeah, to go to the right. You see what I'm saying? Like the map says, do this, but you're like, well, you know, I don't feel like doing that. Like, like maybe, maybe what he really meant instead of, you know, 16 was 10. Maybe, you know, if they really, you know, there, there's an error there. And so if, if you don't, find, 16 and go left, and you're like, I'm 10 and going right. And then you start digging. Are you going to hit treasure? No. All you're going to get is dirt and a big old sunburn. So, so no, matter, look, look, no matter how difficult the map might be, you got to follow it. No matter what you feel, what you think, man, you got you to follow the one who wrote the map. So Matthew 7, 24, go back again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now watch this. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Now isn't that interesting? See, here's, here's what we think. Okay, I'm in. The Bible's the word of God. The Bible's the map. I'm going to follow the map. There's the burrito cactus. I'm going to go 16 paces, and I'm going to go left. And then all of a sudden, what does that get me? A lot of rain. <laughs> rain falls down. Winds beat against me. The flood floodwaters rise. Life just steamed. I followed the map, and life has now steamrolled me. Thank you very much. And this is, this, is where, this is one of the major reasons people leave Jesus. See, everybody comes into the baptistry, and they're in, like the Bible's the word of God. Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. And everybody walks out of that baptistry on fire, focused. But here's what happens. Somewhere along the way, they're either, they were either taught before they got in there, or they listen to a, a blog, or they read a best-selling Christian author, and they get some of this prosperity gospel thrown their way. <clears throat> prosperity gospel would say something like this. <clears throat> you give your life to Jesus. You believe in him and trust him and love him. Your life is going to be really good. Like, like the rain might fall, but it'll be really gentle. 
Like, like storms are not going to hit you because you, you are a Jesus believer. You're a Jesus follower. The torrential rain, is, it'll fall on everybody else. The wind, oh, the wind will blow, but it'll be gentle and at your back. The floodwaters, no, they won't rise and hit you. They'll, they'll hit somebody else. And so many are taught that, man, you, you love Jesus and, and your best life will happen now. He will bless you and prosper you because you love him and you follow him. If you have enough faith, if you have enough trust, your life will be gentle and prosperous and you'll get what you want. And then out of the blue, somewhere down the line, you're a believer and you lose your job. And the wind hits you. You're a believer and out of the blue, you get cancer. You're a disciple, but you deal with depression. Your spouse is cold and neglectful. Your child ODs, you miscarry. When that happens, you know what I want to say. Where are you, Joe Olstein? Where are you? Where are you, Creflo Dollar? Where are you, Kenneth Copeland and the myriad of snake oil salesmen? Because the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches something radically and fundamentally different. The Bible says we live in a fallen world. And even if you follow Jesus and you love Jesus and you love his word and you apply his word, the Bible says the, the, the rain will fall on you. The wind will beat you in the face. The floodwaters will rise. Jesus said that. James said you will suffer. We will suffer. Paul says we are pressed on every side. And I'm just here today to remind you, and if you come to this church, you will always be reminded being a disciple of Jesus does not insulate you from hardship. Being a disciple of Jesus does not exclude you from disappointment or pain. You and I were called to carry a cross. And the last time I checked, they don't make cushioned crosses. And I just want to tell you, when you follow Jesus, there'll be some things that you will pray that will not be taken away. And you will grieve and you will cry and you will petition and you will beg and they will not be taken away from There's some things you just got to carry. So the rain's going to fall. The wind will blow. The water will rise. But there's a promise in the text. There's a promise that we stand on. There's a promise that we hold on to. Here's the promise. Look at the text. The rain. So, so you got to build your, you got to listen and obey the word of Jesus. The rain's going to fall. The stream's going to rise. The winds are going to blow, beat against that house. Yet it did not what? That's the promise. That's the promise. That's what we bank on. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the promise. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, the rain came, the wind blew. You know, it might not fall. No, he, he said it stood. Not it might stand, it could stand. No, it stood. It stood. It's dented. Some of the windows got cracked. Half the shingles are blown off. But that house stood. Now watch what happens to the second group of people. Look at verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same rain came, the same stream rose, the same winds blew against and beat that house, and it fell. It fell with a great crash. 
Well, who are these people? Well, these are the people who hear the words of Jesus and they ooh and ah. Ooh, that's so lovely. Ooh, that's so nice. We need to memorize that. Write that down. Let's go to a small group and just talk about the people who talk, talk, talk and admire, 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 but they don't apply. They don't put them into play. They don't train to do what Jesus has said to do. And Jesus makes a promise. He says, man, that house isn't maybe going to fall. It's going to fall. Now, again, here's the mistake that most people make. They make the story about themselves and about their life. Well, this means that, again, if I listen to and obey the words of Jesus, that my life will be good. You know, I might get a little dinged here. And if I don't apply the words of Jesus, you know, um, I'm going to suffer some kind of penalty, like in this life. And I'm just here today to tell you this has nothing to do with your temporal life. That's a mistake you cannot make in this text. This has nothing to do with your temporal life. The storm is not a situation in life. Ooh, I came through that storm and it beat against my... No, the storm is not a temporal situation. The storm is not a season of life or a group of people in your life. The storm is your life. The storm is your entire life. Man, life is difficult. It's hard. Life will grind you to the ground. But like every other thing, storms will pass. Your life will pass. And once your life is over, when your final breath is taken... That's when we see, does your house stand or does your house fall? Friends, the, the parable of the wise and foolish builder is about heaven and hell. It's about life and destruction. How do we know that? Again, anytime you hear this preached, it's never in context. Remember what we've just talked about, the closing, the last 16 verses. What has Jesus been talking about? Because he's talking about the same thing that he has been talking about. Remember what he said? There were two gates. One leads to life and one leads to death. There are two roads. One's a wide road. It leads to death. One's a narrow road. It leads to life. Choose the right gate. Choose the right road. And then there are two trees. One tree produces good fruit. One tree produces bad fruit. The tree that produces bad fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's destroyed. Bear good fruit. And right here, to cap it all off, Jesus continues that theme. There are two builders, there are two houses, there are two foundations. One house will be shaken, but it will stand. One house will be shaken, and it will collapse. Man, build your life on the right foundation. Listen and obey the words of Jesus. So, so, so let, let me try to land the plane. Let me, let me give you some handles. Let me, let me make an appeal to two groups of people. If you're here this morning and, and for whatever reason, man, thank, th thanks for being here. My, my appeal to you would be this. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, like, like, like you've heard about him, you, you, you kind of know a little bit about him. If you've never said to him, man, I am sorry for, for the rebellion of my life. Like, like I, 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 I want to love you and, and believe. If you've never been baptized, you've never repented of your sins, I, I, I beg you. I appeal to you, man, do that today. You've got another opportunity today to say to Jesus, man, I, I don't want to be that house that falls. I want to be that house that stands. You can't make things right between you and God. You can't, you're not big enough. You, you can't make things right with a holy God, but Jesus did. 
And let Jesus' sacrifice, let, let his blood who, who's made atonement for sin be, be the thing that makes you right with God. But you gotta connect with that. There is no other name. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. Man, let Jesus do that for you. Come to him. So, so today, like every Sunday, you can walk right underneath that cross and man, we can introduce you to Jesus and you can find the God who not only loves you, who's been pursuing you every moment of your life, but you can find that foundation that your soul will, will stand on when you slip into eternity. So build your house on the rock. Build it on Jesus. For those of you who've already done that, you've built your life on the rock. You know who Jesus is, and you are training to apply his word to your life. Not that we get it right every time because we don't, but we are training, not trying, we are training to follow his word and to apply it into our life. What would my message be to you? What would my appeal to you is this? Stay in the game. Stay in the game. Expect hardship. Know that it's coming. Stay planted on the rock. You're gonna get hurt. I wish I could tell you different, but if I did, I'd be lying. You will be betrayed. You will be mocked. You will have people lie to you. You will have your heart ripped out and stomped on. Listen to the words of one of the heroes of our faith. When I, when I think about who do I want to listen to, I think about the Apostle Paul. Started out hating Christians and hating Jesus, but God intervened in his life and changed him, right? Listen to the words of a man who wasn't always a Christian, who killed a bunch of them, but then God changed him. Listen to what he says. Look at Galatians 6, 17. I don't think we have it on the screen because it kind of hit me last night as I was thinking about this. But listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In his letter to the Christians at Galatia, he said to them, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I'm reading that, and I'm like, okay, well, what, what marks are those? And so I spent about 30 minutes, and this is what I found. He's probably talking about the scars on his head, the dents and the scars on his head and neck. From that day, they stoned him to death. He actually died, and God brought him back. I'm sure he bore dents and scars from those rocks that hit him in the neck and in the head. I, I bet you he's talking about the book of Acts. He had two holes in his hand. When he was putting some logs onto a fire, a snake leapt out and bit him right on the hand. So he, he had these two fang marks from being bit by a poisonous snake on Malta. If it were warm out and you and Paul were working side by side and he took his shirt off and he turned around, you would count 195 lash marks across his back and across his legs from the 195 whippings he records in the book of Acts. Maybe he'd, he'd have some ribs that were broken but yet healed from the beating in Philippi or of the wrinkly skin that, that he had from spending three days and three nights in the open ocean being thrown overboard a ship. All these blemishes and all these dents and all these scars. And if he were alive today, we would have people say, well, you, you need to cover that up. You know, you, there's some makeup that you could put on your face. Like You need to hide. And, and Paul would now, these are beautiful marks. These are battle scars. 
These are beauty marks of a life that was lived, a difficult life, a painful life, but he endured. And so, friends, my question to you is, what are your battle scars? What are those marks you bear? Maybe not on your body, but maybe on your heart. Maybe in your soul. Maybe in your mind. What are those difficult things that you've just said to God, I'm just going to endure it, and I'm just going to hang on. I know. I know as we enter this season, this is going to be hard for some of you. And what nobody can see because you got the smile. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. But there is something that's just breaking your heart. It might be the first season without your husband or wife or child. And it kills you. It might be um, persecution at work. But there's some, I know it's hard. I know the loneliness and I know the disappointment. And I just want to tell you, don't give up. Don't think there's something wrong with your faith. Don't, don't buy the lie that if you were just more spiritual, if you just, if you just believe more that, that somehow your life would be better because that's not the road we were promised. But don't give up. Don't let go. And let me tell you why. Of all the gems uh, that I've had an opportunity to see, diamonds, emeralds, rubies, the most fascinating gem I've ever witnessed is, is the pearl. Do you know the story of the pearl? The pearl is a product of pain. The shell of an oyster is pierced with a single grain of sand. And as that single grain of sand slips in between the shell, the shell realizes something's not right. And it begins to release these healing fluids that find that grain of sand and begin to coat that grain of sand. And soon the irritant is covered and the wound, the wound is healed. No other gem has such a fascinating story. So what is a pearl? A pearl is a symbol of stress. It's a healed wound. A pearl is a precious tiny jewel conceived through irritation, born of adversity, nursed by adjustment. Had there been no wound, there'd be no pearl. Fascinating. What's even more fascinating than the pearl is how the pearl is used. When John the Apostle writes the book of Revelation, he gets a picture of heaven. God invites him to see the holy city, the city of God. And, and John describes it as best as he can. He says, man, there are walls made out of jasper. There are streets of solid gold. There's a sea of crystal. The foundation that the walls sit on are built on precious stones like emeralds and sapphires and topaz. And then he describes the walls of the city of God. And on each one of the walls, four walls, there are three gates, three gates in the north, three gates on the east, three gates in the west, three gates in the south. There are 12 gates that lead into the city of God. And this is how he describes each and every one. Revelation 21, 21. 
The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made out of a single pearl. Is it no wonder, loved ones, is it no wonder that our heavenly home has as its entrance pearly gates? Those who pass through have held on. Those who enter have endured. The winds of persecution blew. The rains of disappointment fell. The waters of pain rose, but they followed and they obeyed and they held on and their house stood firm. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, stay planted on the rock. Don't give up. Don't cave. Don't capitulate to secular reasoning or the culture. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because great, great, great is your reward. Let's pray. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.